Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Hi, everybody. Today is another day where you are getting a bonus episode of The Women of Harry Potter. This is going to be me and Ariana Nettleman, and Ariana is going to be blessing the amazing Hannah Abbott. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Hi, Vanessa. Oh, hello. How are you today, Ariana? So good. Thank you for meeting me here at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I'm a little sore from my donkey ride, but other than that, it's beautiful. So worth it. Yeah, totally worth it. My donkey's name was Fred. What was yours? Rutherford. Now that Rutherford and Fred are off becoming friends, why don't we bless somebody? Who are you going to bless for us this week? I am so excited to be blessing Hannah Abbott. Ooh. So we have recently finished book five. True. Something that really, really stuck out to me in book five was this one sentence about Hannah Abbott, which I'll read to you. And in fact, you blessed her for during the course of our season of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. All the fifth years were suffering from stress to some degree, but Hannah Abbott became the first to receive a calming draft from Madame Pomfrey after she burst into tears during herbology and sobbed that she was too stupid to take exams and wanted to leave school now. And something about that just so moved me and stayed with me that when I think about book five, that is like one of the top things that comes to my mind. So I wanted to take some time to talk about Hannah with you. And this moment in particular... Um, where she feels so stupid that she wants to erase herself from the school and just leave. It's a moment that really touched me. And now that we're in book six, what I just realized is that 
that comes true for her. Absolutely. She, her mom, unfortunately, is killed by Death Eaters and she has to leave school. The beautiful thing about that is that she returns to Hogwarts in book seven and fights in the Battle of Hogwarts. And we don't know what happens between her leaving and her coming back. But I think there's something so lovely in what I imagine in that space is that some kind of confidence has built in herself that she thinks that she would be useful in this fight. And that during her time at the DA, she builds skills and confidence in herself so that the feeling that we see in her in book five has been somehow resolved in her by book seven. Yeah, I also wonder if part of why she doesn't come back in year six, if she had loved Hogwarts and her mother had died, I wonder if she would have come back because it would have been a safe haven for her and a good place to grieve among friends and with a sense of purpose. But because school was so anxiety-provoking for her, that she was having panic attacks before exams and questioning her self-worth. I wonder if that is part of why, while she's in this time of acute grief, she doesn't come back. I feel so much pity for her in her tears over the exams because this is a moment where she's been made prefect. Yeah. So the institution has told her that they see something really admirable, some leadership quality, some goodness in her. And, and the situation is such that she can't see it in herself. She hasn't just been made prefect. She's one of the first to join Dumbledore's army, right? Like she's at that first meeting. Right. So she is proving herself to be brave and rebellious. She is, by all accounts, someone who, if we spent more time with, I think we would know to greatly admire. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of, of strength and goodness to Hannah. And also I think like we know that she's actually struggling in school. We see um, during the OWLs, Harry says at least he was able to vanish his iguana, whereas Hannah Abbott turned her ferret into a flock of flamingos that caused the examination to be halted for 10 minutes while the birds were captured and carried out of the hall. Either she's so anxious that she is messing up her spells or, or she is actually struggling in school and that that is a reality for her. But what I think makes me feel so bad for her is the lack of grace that she holds for herself and being a little bit bad at school, that for her being bad at school is is so heartbreaking that she wants to no longer even be there. She can't allow herself the for- forgiveness of, around that and, and the, the belief in her own ability to get better, that even though she's prefect, even though there are so many ways in which she's being celebrated, her failure here is intolerable to her. This just makes me want to bless Madam Sprout for making her prefect. Because she's, like, not picking the quote-unquote best student, but, like, a student with admirable qualities in other ways. Absolutely. But also, I just wonder if, like, test anxiety is why she's not doing well. Because being able to turn a ferret into 12 flamingos sounds like very powerful magic to me. And it's not what she was supposed to do. But I don't know. That just, you know, as somebody who's anti the amount of test taking we require children to do. I'm like, meh. Totally. And I think there are other instances, always in groups, but we see Hannah Abbott be very successful at Jinx's. We see at the end of book five when a bunch of DA members turn Crab and Goyle and Draco into flobber worms or whatever, that she's one of them. And 
I have a suspicion, and she's not named, but during the first DA meeting, it says Ernie McMillan was flourishing his wand unnecessarily, giving his partner time to get in under his guard. And I've done kind of an accounting of the people in that room, and I am fairly certain that his partner is Hannah Abbott and that she's getting in under Ernie McMillan's guard, which I love because this comes to my big theory about Hannah Abbott. Are you ready? I don't know that I am. I'm so excited. Hannah Abbott, in this book, is very rarely mentioned by herself. She is almost always mentioned side by side with Ernie McMillan, that she is part of Ernie McMillan's little group of Hufflepuffs. And what do we know about Ernie McMillan is that he's a pompous know-it-all and that he studies 10 hours a day for his owls and he wants to tell you all about it. And what I really think is going on with Hannah Abbott is that because she's such good friends with Ernie McMillan, she's constantly kind of comparing herself to him. And he is so full of himself that that makes her feel bad about herself. There's this moment in book two where Ernie's like, oh, clearly Harry Potter is the heir to Slytherin. And Hannah Abbott says, like, is he? Because he seems like a nice guy and, like, didn't Voldemort kill his parents? And Ernie, Ernie, like, totally dismisses her and, like, just, like, walks over her objection. She, like, gets subsumed by him and and the bigness of him. And and she's a prefect with Ernie. Like, they, like, come in a pair like that. And so I, when I was revisiting him, I was, like, really wondering how much of her her fear about her own self-worth is wrapped up in her friendship. I don't think Ernie is like consciously trying to belittle her, but I I was just like noticing that dynamic for the first time. Yeah, that's fascinating. And imagine like if your best friend is constantly talking about studying 10 hours a day and you're like, I can't concentrate for more than three, you're going to feel like no matter how much effort you put in, like you're doing it wrong. Whereas like I can't study for more than three hours at a time. My brain is like nap, food. And like I but I do. Right. Like I look at law students who can just sit and study for 12 hours a day. And I'm like, we have different skills. (laughs) Um, But that's a wisdom that comes with age. Right. Being like, I have different skills than somebody who's capable of sitting and studying for the bar for six months, five days a week, nine hours a day. And Hannah is just like best friends with this person who, for some reason, not only can do that, but loves to talk about it. I know. And loves to compete in this, like, I'm suffering more than anybody else way. And yeah, I just like wonder if Hannah's a really talented witch who gets caught up in the anxiety because of a best friend. And like gets caught up in this idea, which I I think I was trying to allude to before, that there's like one standard that you hold yourself to for self-worth. And I think Ernie maybe is like part of is kind of perpetuating that idea because he's holding himself to that standard as well. He's saying, we know that OWLs are the most important thing. And that is what I am what I am judging myself against and making sure that everyone around me is judging themselves against. Um, and so she ends up holding herself to that standard as well. And I think that that just speaks to the way in which unhealthy patterns of behavior are contagious. If you are living with somebody who is obsessed by something, it it becomes part of the air that you're breathing. And so if Hannah wasn't naturally somebody who was obsessed with her grades, hanging out with Ernie all the time would absolutely do that to her. Yeah. And I think, you know, it goes both ways. Like, I do think the reason she goes to the DA meeting is because of Ernie. Like, I think, yeah, you know, like Ernie really likes to see himself at the forefront of these justice movements. And because she's his friend, she tags along and is at the forefront of that as well. But like, absolutely, are we affected both for the positive and for the deeply negative by the people around her. 
The other thing I want to say about Hannah is like just something I want to keep saying about these young girls in these books is that I think that sometimes she gets written off as silly, that she's like earnest and wide-eyed. I think she's she's actually described at one point as having like eyes the size of saucers or whatever about yeah. something. And I want to take her seriously that like she makes this comment about Harry being nice and gets written off by Ernie as not knowing what she's talking about. There's a moment in book three where she says that Sirius Black can turn himself into a rose bush. And the text judge her is like wild, silly rumors began to spread, such as this one by Hannah Abbott. And like Hannah is very close to the actual truth. Yes. Sirius can transform himself into a dog, which is like just as a benign object as a rose bush. You know, we like write off these young girls for their silliness. And I think there are so many moments where she shows where, where like her intuitions are, are right. And I want to celebrate that about her. The last thing that we see of Hannah Abbott in these books is her in the Battle of Hogwarts. The last two times we see her, the first time she's standing in a, in a knot of students with Fred and Lee Jordan while they're discussing a battle move. And then the second time she's dashing across the floor with Seamus Finnegan um, where they're joining a fight that's already started. And I think there's something so lovely to me about the combination of Hannah, who I see at the beginning of these books, is so thoroughly a Hufflepuff. Her and Ernie and Justin Finch Fletchley, their little trio, just as we have our little trio in Gryffindor, and and the full integration of her into the DA and all of the Hogwarts students kind of together in this last battle. And I and I don't know what to make of that except to celebrate, like maybe her developing this wider cast of characters in her friend group like I'm so grateful for her friendship with Ernie but also like I think her friendship with Fred and Seamus and Lee Jordan will bring her other things and other things to measure herself against and other um, ways that she can celebrate her own successes and and we don't know how those relationships develop and we know so little about what happens to her in the time when she's gone when her mother dies and where her values lie but clearly she comes back and believes in her ability to join in this fight Um, and her friendships with these people in the DA. And I think that's really beautiful as well. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. 
They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. I also think that this speaks to a missed opportunity in Harry, which I'm just seeing also as a missed opportunity in myself. Like, I think that he and Hannah would have been really good friends, right? Like, she defends him early on. She is, like, probably someone who he could have divulged his serious secret to. And Harry, you know, we know this, and for very good reasons, is somebody who always wants to go at it alone. And so, like, doesn't cultivate sort of acquaintance-level friendships with people because, you know, he has his two best friends. And I'm very similar in that way. I'm like, I have my friends. and. I'm, like, not really interested in cultivating acquaintance friendships, but those friendships matter so much, and, like, it makes you feel comfortable to go up to someone and strategize the battle, and, like, I think that I'm just seeing how sad it is that Harry doesn't cultivate that friendship with Hannah and seeing that in myself that I probably should be spending time investing in more friendships. Yeah. Yeah, because we don't know what he could have gotten from his friendship with Hannah. Yeah, he could have gotten so much from that friendship, I bet, right? And he could have been so helpful to her. Like, she loses her mom. And he has different study patterns than Ernie. So she could have been like, Harry Potter is going to do fine on his OWLs, and he's not studying 10 hours a day. Like, I think having a diverse friend group is just so important because we never know how life is going to play out. And I think that there's a real sadness in me that Hannah and Harry don't become closer. Absolutely. I mean, there's a real tragedy to how it plays out for her, as it does for so many of these characters, that she's a victim of this war. Her mom dies unexpectedly. And it's hard to hold the deep grief she feels about her exams in book five and the grief that we don't get to see from her about her mom in book six. But, like, I both feel so bad that she feels the way she does in book five and wish only that hurt for her. And I'm sorry that she has to hurt the way she does in book six. Yeah, and I do think that the other beautiful thing about her coming back in book seven is that she comes back in Death Eater run Hogwarts, and she must come back because she wants to be a part of the DA. She's, like, not old enough to be part of the order, right? and she wants to be part of the DA because it's the one way that she can be part of the resistance. And she's doing this in her mother's name and is, like, not letting her mother— have died in vain, right? Absolutely. I think it would have been quite easy for her to stay out of school at this point, and she doesn't. She she returns to the fight and makes meaning of her mother's death by fighting the evil that killed her. You know, the reason I wanted to bless Hannah was because I was a student in college who was so anxious about my my place there. Um, I actually got off the wait list at my college, and that gave me like a huge complex about whether or not I deserved to be there. Um, and I feel like it was constantly weighing on me during my classes about trying to prove that I was smart enough or feeling like I should just quit and leave. And I think we see in Hannah that same anxiety that I was feeling, which drew me to her. And also, like, her great capacity not to do well on her tests, but to be this, like, incredible fighter and to, like, really stand up for her values and to, like, to be a part of the meaningful work that comes down the line and all of that happened for her because she was at Hogwarts and because she was not because she did well on her exams, but because she joined the DA and lived in her values. And that often we're anxious about our self-worth 
by these external measures, right, that, you know, whether it's a number on a scale or a number on an exam or our number of Facebook friends or Twitter followers, right, we have all these metrics to measure our success. We know at the end that Hannah ends up a good person and quite fulfilled and, and like, who cares about these numbers? Exactly. Yes. That was what I was trying to get at. Thank you. Oh, thank you. So I have a quiz for you. Love a quiz. And then we'll judge you by how many you get correct. Yeah. My whole self-worth will be based on my performance in this quiz. Don't you worry. Yeah. So this is non-canonical, however. According to this woman who maybe you've heard of, J.K. Rowling, Mm -hmm. uh, Hannah Abbott does something wonderful, which is Mary Neville Longbottom. I mean, that's the other reason that I love Hannah Abbott is because of her excellent taste. Excellent taste in men. Yeah. She marries the heartthrob of Hogwarts. She's kind of like a Neville-like character, right? Like she's anxious and not great at school and then turns out to be a badass. Yeah. So I love this couple. This is definitely the best couple to come out of the Harry Potter series. I don't think that they were quite high school sweethearts, but they are certainly a married couple who met in high school. And so I have questions for you about young love. Amazing. Okay. So... Which of these, quote-unquote, bad boys married their high school sweetheart and is still married to her 40 years later? A. Andrew Dice Clay. B. John Bon Jovi. C. Bruce Springsteen. Or D. Billy Joel. I'm going to say, I'm going to say Andrew Dice Clay. It's actually John Bon Jovi. Aww. He has been married to his wife for 40 years, and he's like, I don't know how I ended up the poster child for a happy marriage, but I love her, and they have all these kids, and they're just like a really happy couple. What's so funny is I'm usually not pro people getting together young. Like, I'm very skeptical of that, and then when I hear stories of it happening, I'm like, that is the cutest thing. Yes. Ron Howard also married his high school sweetheart. <laughs> I went down a rabbit hole. And they have four children together. And he's like, we are still obsessed with each other. It's amazing. Okay. So the problem with young love is that it can be fickle sometimes. Mm -hmm. Who is Romeo in love with right before he meets Juliet? Yes. I know the answer to this. Oh, okay. Rosalind. Yes. <laughs> Do you want me to read you my fake answers? I'm sorry. Should I have pushed up my glasses while I said that? Yes. What What are your fake answers? I knew that you would vaguely remember, so I did all our names. I did Rachel, Rebecca, Rosalie, and Rosalind. I asked that famous Shakespearean Rachel. <laughs> I bet you there's a Rachel in Shakespeare. I'm going to Google it. No, there are no Rachels in Shakespeare. Damn it. Okay. One of the big factors in the success of marriage is the age at which you get married. So what age is the most likely to get divorced? Under 20, 20 to 25, 25 to 30, and 30 plus. 20 to 25. Yes. Isn't it interesting that it's not under 20? And people suspect that it's because people who get married under 20 are religious. Yeah, I was going to say, it's probably a cultural thing. Yeah. I thought that that was fascinating. You would think that people who got married when they were 18 would be the most likely to get divorced. But no, it's like 22-year-olds. Okay. so. Darwin was famously in love with his wife when he got married, but they did have one big problem. What does it mean to be famously in love with your wife when you get married? He, They wrote, like, intense love letters to one another at the beginning of their relationship. Got it. There was one big flaw in their relationship, though. Which of the following is it? A, they spent so much time apart with all of his expeditions that they fell out of love with each other. B, they disagreed on the theory of evolution because she was more religious than he was. 
C, it was arranged. And so it turns out that pretty quickly they didn't love each other. Or D, they were first cousins. I think it's either B or D. Um, And I'm going to say D. Yes. So she was much more religious than he was, but she completely believed in the theory of evolution and really struggled with that fact. But yes, they were first cousins, and apparently some of their children had health issues due to that. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's. I don't know. I just had this romantic image that like they wouldn't just fall in love because— fall out of love after writing all of these letters. There had to be like a real thing standing in between them. Yeah, no. they And it didn't stand between them. They're, we're just projecting <laughs> our cult, our biases. So, uh, no, they were very much in love until the day they died. Yeah. Good for them. Oh, yeah. A very happy marriage. Good love so hard to find. Yeah. That's the last question? Yeah. So how did I do in our quiz? Did I get 100%? No, you got 75% though. Well, 75 out of 100. That feels pretty safe with where I imagine myself in the hierarchy of the world. Average? Yeah. (laughs) I think that the way to score these quizzes is anything. If you get 50% or above, you win. So I'm a winner. You're a winner. If you get two right, you're a winner. You won. I think it's more of a a binary. Oh, great. Than a sliding scale. So looking forward to my prefect badge. I'm looking forward to riding this donkey out of the Grand Canyon. Rutherford and Fred are too much in love. <laughs> oh, no. So we have to walk out? Yeah, they've started writing love letters. It doesn't matter that they're first cousins. They're just going to make make their way in the great world of the Grand Canyon. The valley of the Grand Canyon? Start climbing. <laughs> okay. You lead the way. This has been Women of Harry Potter. We are a production of Not Sorry Productions. Produced by me, Ariana Nellman, Vanessa Zoltan, and Chelsea Erson, and also edited by Chelsea Erson. Our music is by Nick Boll. Next time you hear from us, it'll be Vanessa and the great, the brilliant Margaret Wilson blessing Miss Minerva McGonagall. Stay tuned for that. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.